down, make sure your cinch is tight. Horses kind of snuffy, cold chill up your spine. You'll get your ass moving somewhere burning daylight. Welcome to Burning Daylight, the only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, howdy there, Daylight Burners. How's it going? Hope everybody's weekend uh, went well. Um, my guest today is uh, Seth Cope Wilson. He's a uh, He's a Canadian, Canadian fella. I met uh, in the great state of Colorado uh, a couple weekends ago. He uh, was playing some music at the War Party Ranch Rodeo, and uh, we kind of hit it off. had a had some good uh, good conversations, and uh, I invited him on. Uh, I've got a one of the one of the cooler gifts I've ever been pre- presented with. Um, but uh, Jeremiah. Wilbur, who put on the ranch rodeo, gave me this bottle of um, whiskey, and it's uh, got a really cool story behind it. Um, I looked up like the kind of the origin story, even more than uh, you know the little kind of cliff notes deal that Jeremiah gave gave us uh, on that deal. But anyway, Seth signed it, and uh, and Jeremiah signed it, being uh, both being special forces uh, soldiers. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Seth being uh, Canadian Special Forces and uh, and Jeremiah being Green Beret, I thought it was pretty cool. And I'm just a dumb cowhand that uh, couldn't make it into the military, so I'm I'm just cool to be somewhat in the club. Uh, you know, like whatever little fingernail I've got, and you know, I'm 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 cool with that. I like to hear the stories, and and I like the I like that that kind of those are my kind of people. Like the we, everybody kind of lives on the a little bit on the fringes of society, and. Uh, you don't really quite play by most people's rules, but you try to, I don't know, you try to do good with that, but also like, eh, sometimes you gotta, you gotta cut corners here and there and make shit work a little different. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, glad to have you on the show. Uh, cope. Um, I assume your, uh, your nickname came from the, the, the like four finger dips that you, that you have in most of the time. Nope. No, it did not. Huh. All right then. Well, anyhow, uh, tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. Cause as we said before, uh, we, we went recording here. Like I, the, the weekend was a blur and it was a lot of fun. Uh, so many faces, uh, so many hands shaking and then also plenty of booze, uh, flowing the whole, the whole damn time. So with all that mixture, you, uh, you got caught up in the fray, but also like stuck out in the crowd too. So, um, yeah, give us a, a little short intro and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. My, my, uh, my mama didn't call me that name, but, uh, I got that kind of when I was on my way out of the army. Um, I retired two Januaries ago and, uh, kind of that one stuck with me. You know what I mean? I was trying to, I joined the army on nine 11 as a 16 year old boy. Uh, when the towers fell, we just had that anniversary the other day and mm-hmm. being, a, being a Canadian that, that day still holds very well for me. Like, uh, y'all don't have a lot of rugby here in America. I live in Bozeman now, so I've made my, my, my made my migration down here, but rugby is a very big 
rough and tumble sport up in Canada as it is, you know, here and other places. But uh, I was a rugby kid my whole life. And on 9-11, I walked into the recruiting station after English class at about 11 in the morning when all that stuff was going down. And I saw half the rugby squad in there. And uh, we all kind of did the same damn thing. Now, at that time in your life, the Canadian Armed Forces doesn't let you join regular active duty without parental consent. And if you don't have a, a high school diploma, um, so they let, they let us join the reserves. So that was our kind of contribution. And it turned into me sticking with it. I did 19 years. Um, 19 years all in and uh, four combat tours. And I was medically released from duty for a bunch of physical and mental injuries after my uh, last combat deployment. Mm. And that was January 2021 that I retired. Um, really didn't have a plan B because I got in so young. And um, I sold a bunch of my stuff, got rid of my place, packed up my truck, and I started driving, started driving until I get to go find a new home. And I found it here in Bo I found it in Montana and particularly here in Bozeman. Cool. Um, and where where did you grow up in Canada? <clears throat> I was born in um, I was born in Northern Ontario, which is probably about eight hours north of Syracuse for people in the states. There's not a lot of cowboy stuff around up there. Uh, my dad was in the army as well, so we moved around a lot. We lived in the in the woods, kind of thing. A lot of snow in the wintertime, long winters, and logging and stuff like that. A lot of hunting, fishing going on, and then. Um, my parents had moved to Europe, so I spent my bit my infant years kind of there. And when we moved back, uh, we I grew up in a French Canadian fishing village on the east coast, kind of uh, um, maybe maybe eight hours north of like Maine towards the ocean, kind of thing up on the Canadian side. So there's a lot of saltwater fly fishing and stuff like that, a lot of moose hunting and things um, in, in that area. And so I, I got a bit of a penchant for for that sort of stuff. Certainly an interest in it at a young age. We couldn't really participate in much, but fishing. And, um, and yeah, that's kind of, that was where, uh, that's when I, where, that's where I was for the majority of my adolescent life. I went to university down there too. And then, uh, when I got, when I, uh, applied for the special forces and was selected, their base is in actually right next to the hometown that I grew up in or that I was an infant in as a little guy in Northern Ontario. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I spent 14 years there. Crazy. Crazy. So, so the Canadian Canadian Armed Forces. I know. I know you got the Army, and then like you guys, you guys have you have different branches like we do. Where it's kind of, I know, I know you guys have like a way smaller, smaller military. We also have a way smaller population. That's correct. Yes, we have. So we have Army, Navy, and Air Force. Okay, um, okay. We do not have a Marine Corps. As I understand, the Marine Corps is uh, kind of under the Department of the Navy. We don't have that. We do have a Coast Guard, but our Coast Guard is managed by the Department of Transportation, is not military. The majority of it is civilian employees, and uh, they, they're not armed, so to speak. They, they predominantly do things like uh, maritime policing and uh, maritime maintenance. Okay, I have a very okay. good friend of mine, and uh, who, who works in the Coast Guard, I met, and we fly fish a lot on the West Coast. And uh, yeah, uh, no, like population wise, you're absolutely right. Uh, there are more people in the state of California than there are in the entire country of Canada. And our military is about 66,000 ish to 85,000 all in at full strength, which is about about the population of the base of Camp, which is about half the population of the base of Camp Pendleton. Mm -hmm. the west coast so, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty small i uh 
I I've listened to a, a couple podcasts with um what's her name Kelsey uh is it Sharon or something like that um she was like an artillery chick uh in the Canadian uh oh, yes. Canadian army oh, yeah yeah she's got a business on the west coast where she does like boutique jewelry uh handmade stuff now does she not yeah 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 something like that yeah i've i've listened to a couple deals with her and then she was talking about how like she was the the lone canadian on on this like this fob out in uh in afghanistan and you know like there was you know there was a canadian like station here and then like another couple canadian station there but like it was, like you guys were kind of few and far between when it came to like the, you know, our, our, you know, war theater, which kind of weird. Like how, how do you guys feel about getting drug into, uh, to our type of deal? Like, I know we got a pretty close relationship, but, um, particularly like the, the Iraq stuff. I mean, like, I think most of the world was kind of on our side when, after the, you know, going into Afghanistan, but Iraq was a whole different story. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, man. And, and I've, I've done a fair few of these podcasts and had the similar kinds of questions. And the thing that I always say, man, and it makes me feel good in my heart, and I, and I truly believe it, and I think a lot of my fellow bros and arms up north do too, is that if you can imagine that we were neighbors, because we are, and you heard mm-hmm. a ruckus over at your neighbor's house, and there was some gunshots going off, and you know maybe there was some, some trucks parked in the driveway you didn't recognize, and you could just tell, and you had a feeling in your gut that your neighbors were in trouble. You'd you'd go over there, right? Yeah. And uh, no one attacked our country on 9-11. Nobody. But it was what a good neighbor would do and tie up your boots and you clean your gun mm-hmm. and you you know you light your torch and grab your pitchfork and you and you head out. I'm I'm we can swear on this, right? That's cool. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, okay. and we got no yeah. filters here. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. You you grab your fucking pitchfork and you go help your neighbor. Uh, because right. it was the right thing to do. Now, um, a lot of things, like some of the things people don't know about the Canadian military is that the ARCOM conflict in Afghanistan was the longest serving, like the longest standing armed combat deployment in Canadian history. Uh, it was longer mm-hmm. than World War One and Two combined. Um, yep. It was longer than, it's actually longer than World One, Two, and Korean conflict combined. Um, yep. And a lot of folks don't know, too, that of the provinces of Afghanistan, one of the greasiest ones to go and fight in was Kandahar province. And Kandahar province was cut, stamped and milled out from a coalition kind of like I mean, and by coalition, I mean, a whole bunch of guys get together and they decide like America, Canada, Britain, Australia. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And let's take the fight to these these guys because, you know, they want to threaten our way of life. And they had the balls to come over here and attack one of our friends. So let's go. Let's let's grab our gang and we'll go kick the fuck out of these guys. And we did. And our backyard, our area of operations was Kandahar, which was a particularly violent, very large, mm. much larger for the contribution. And we had we had 5000 soldiers rotate in and out of Afghanistan every six months for about 20 years. And when you look at how small our army, our military is, um, we only have about, we'll say, 20,000 army soldiers and of those army soldiers, there's even about half of that again that are infantrymen, which took up a huge part of that province. So there mm-hmm. are you'd be hard pressed to find. Most guys have multiple tours over there, and the reason we couldn't do Iraq at the same time was because we just literally didn't have the people, and so we had to pick one, like Afghanistan or Iraq. And uh, not sure why we flipped a coin, but uh, we picked Afghanistan, and uh, we went over there and started taking the fight to the bad guy. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, 
no matter how many different vets that I talked to that have seen, seen combat over there or, um, you know, either Iraq or, or Afghanistan, like they, they all end up fairly disillusioned with why we went over there. But at the same time, there's like, we actually, we were doing some good, like the, like regardless of all the, the politics behind it, like, yeah, that those were shitty countries with uh, a shitty way of life that our, our government obviously didn't understand. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, but at the same time, like, man, I, I know so many guys that went over there just like, fuck man, what else are you going to do? You just try to stay alive. Like, yeah, you find the bad guys and you try to stay alive. Yeah. I can't really speak too much to the, and we were obviously, we weren't the only countries over there, like Germany and Holland and a bunch of European countries. There was oh, yeah. countries, Check. you know, there were countries from Latin America and things like that. Uh, they, they, they had not had the resources to, or the people to contribute in a way that uh, we call the four eyes community, which is the big four, which is Australia, Canada, Britain, and America. Uh, mm. that had, you know, that had the capacity for that. Uh, but, but we did, and we, we kind of, we did it. Uh, I can't speak to other guys and their motivations and things for going as far as the political clouding of the mission and whatnot. But I can say that, uh, I just kind of felt obligated to go. I came from a military family and my, my, my great uncle had fought in world war two and my grandpa's had fought in Korea and in Cyprus. My dad was in Bosnia, Herzegovina, the Balkans, and so it was my turn to go, I guess. I don't know, just as a natural fit. My brother was also in, and he went over there as an infantryman at the time, around the time I did. And uh, he's also been to Iraq as well in a different capacity. Um, and when I went over on my first trip, it was kind of, it was very, ambi- it was ambiguous, like what was kind of going on. You know, I was, I was a conventional army guy. And conventional means like dudes that have to cut their hair and they, they, they're a part of a larger kind of, uh, uh, more general purpose machine, if you will. Um, and that's you're giving direct title. orders more than directives, like where, yeah, that, like, yeah, okay, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I was my job there was I was a section commander for eight guys, and our job was to drive our armored vehicles around town to, to pick up people, dropping off mail, pick up groceries, it was combat logistics patrol stuff. And I was in charge of a bunch of dudes in armored vehicles to do that and yeah. it, i kind of didn't really care for that too much because you were like a, a a roadside bomb sponge and i didn't really <laughs> like that and <laughs> on my first yeah. tour yeah i was 20 i was 20 years old my 20 to 21 i turned 21 over there and uh these guys rolled into camp one day and they all had these cool blacked out trucks and painted guns and big beards and big muscles and tattoos and they called each other by their first names and i had been I'd read the books and fantasized about, you know, being a special operations guy my whole life and never got the chance to kind of, obviously I didn't know anything about it. I was just so clouded in making sure my haircut was good and my frigging truck window was clean. And, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. That was kind of the low level stuff that I was, it was supposed to be important to me or by my boss told me, this is what you need to make important in your life. Now, when I saw these guys and the way that they operated, I was very envious, almost jealous, if you will. And uh, I decided at that time when I was on deployment, that that was for me. And so I started going through the paperwork to go to selection to be a special forces soldier. Awesome. And what's the, what's that process like? Cause I know 
you know, particularly in like the build up to uh, particularly Iraq, you know, they had like the as they call it like the 18 x-ray program over here where it kind of like fast track people to to special forces. And, um, and I, I I know, like I've learned a lot about Canada since I started this podcast, because it turns out I have, I do have the second, second largest audience that I have uh, as far as countries is Canada with uh, three to 4% of the audience. So it's not, not, not nothing. It's not nothing. And, um, but I've learned, I learned a lot about, about Canada just, in the last couple of years through the podcast. And I knew, knew a couple in college and I always kind of, I always liked Canadians cause I can talk a lot of shit good naturedly. And they, <clears throat> they either like just give it back or they just like laugh at it. And yeah, like there, so I've always enjoyed that. Like, cause I like talking shit and I just like, I like laughing and I, I like getting people talking shit back, you know, like I, I just, I like shit talking and, yeah. uh, and and Canadians are, are pretty good about it. So I like, yeah. I've always, I always kind of enjoyed that. And so, yeah, now we get to the, like, the Canadian military and I, I know nothing about it. And I know a little bit about, uh, you know, the U S military. Cause I, uh, I was going myself. I, I, I also come, my, my biological dad was a Vietnam vet. He did, uh, was drafted, did I think three tours, uh, bronze star, a couple purple hearts. I mean, he, the whole thing, you know, saw some shit. Um, <laughs> I know, you know, you know, you come from rural America, like you're, you're going to know, no, you, either your family was in the military or, you know, plenty of people. Like it's just kind of yeah. what we do. Like we, uh, we get shit on by, by the rest of the country most of the time, but when it's time to go to war, Hey, those, those, those boys out in the middle, they'll, they'll, they'll sure sign up. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so it, I don't know. It's, uh, and yeah, I know, I know how that feeling is like, yeah, if, if your dad did it, like, yeah, you're almost like obligated to. Like you're just like, oh well, fuck. Here we are. It's it's, it's my time to go. You know, it just it's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, I noticed a trend when I joined the army, especially on the nine eleven kind of time frame. The majority of the recruits that I went through basic training with boot camp were from rural areas. Um, a yeah. lot of the guys one that graduated basic and then went off to be actual war like war fighting men, infantry soldiers. <laughs> A lot of those guys were from small towns, <clears throat> uh, a lot of like coal towns or fish villages or mining towns mm-hmm. or logging towns. And they're like, I can either get a job at the plant, the mill, the fish back and plant, or I can join the army, do like see the world. And I like, you know, so a lot of guys. And then I noticed a trend maybe a decade and a half later where uh, where the majority of the recruits were from city centers for the same reason. Like I don't want to get stuck in the city center delivering pizzas or whatever. can't really afford college maybe to get the kind of job I want that affords the lifestyle I think I'd like to enjoy. And so a lot of them came from, from that kind of place too. It's uh, yeah, it was, it was really something. The uh, I, I like how you mentioned the shit talking thing. Cause I, when I was young before I kind of like, on one of my leave periods, I, I bought a plane ticket to Australia and hitchhiked across Australia. And I found myself in a hostel, middle of nowhere, with an, like drinking beer by the pool with an American, an Australian, and a Canadian, and a British guy. And mm-hmm. it was this is where I learned exactly what you just talked about, where someone made a joke. The British guy got offended. The American guy wanted to hit somebody. The Aussie and myself, we just started chirping back and shit talking. I didn't, yeah, get, like, you know what I mean? And it, 
that doesn't say that those are direct representation of countries, but it, it kind of was, you know, I mean, I, I would just as soon hit a guy, I guess, is, or should talk him or just walk away. But, but it, it just give you kind of a feel for people that have the capacity to take a joke, throw it back and mm-hmm. then have a beer after and not take it too, too heavily or, you know, take it lightheartedly, I guess. Yeah. Like yeah. read the room a little bit and uh, like, who, who's the guy that's going to pop off just, uh, you know, or, or get, get butt hurt <laughs> immediately. You know, it's just yeah. uh, like me and my, my college buddies, like we were, we were fucking ruthless, but it was just, it was like boredom. And, uh, but it was also like the, like the golden, so we're the, you're, we're the same age. You said it was sixteen when on, you were sixteen on nine eleven. So I yeah, was, I was thirty seven. Okay, I'll be thirty seven in end October. So we're okay. we're yeah we're we're same same timeline. And uh, but like we grew up in the golden age of comedy movies. Like we had all the old classics, but then like we, I mean, so you had like Animal House and Airplane and and all the eighties comedies. But then you had Will Ferrell and and that whole Vince Vaughn and just that whole crew through the the nineties and the two thousands and and Jim Carrey and I yeah. mean like just so much good comedy like we had we had all the best Saturday Night Lives like already in our rear view yeah and you could just quote them over and over and over again and you just like honed your shit talking skills by like movie quotes you know and just. uh and eventually you'd come up with your own shit and you know, like you'd play off a movie, but you'd come up with your own shit and you just like, you just talk shit all the time. Yeah. Like the, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, you ever heard of trailer park boys? Oh fuck, man. I, I forget how exactly I found. Oh, I tell you who it was. It was reckless Kelly. They had a live album. Uh, and then they had like the, you know, behind the scenes DVD, and they were quoting Trailer Park Boys on there, and I'd never yeah. heard of it. I was uh, my junior year of college, and it was uh, it was back in the like the early days of Netflix, where you still got the DVDs in the mail. Yeah, and so I was I was uh, getting Trailer Park Boys back in I guess that would have been oh seven oh six oh seven yeah. something like that. Yeah, and then I kind of I kind of forgot about them until they came back on Netflix uh, when. Uh, a couple, you know, was it like four or five years ago? Yeah. Um, so funny. Like that is one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah. So just to kind of give you an idea, like where I lived on the East coast for a good chunk of my time there. So I moved around a bunch for years. I lived about a 40 minute drive from where they filmed it. And okay. they would go to the bars in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And you'd see Ricky and Julian and bubbles in the bars. And another Canadian <laughs> classic is Letterkenny, which is excellent kind of yes. chirping stuff. And then when I lived in Ontario for 14 years when I was deployed, that was about an hour away from where Letterkenny was filmed. So nice. like I, I grew up like my formative years as a, as a boy and as a young man, as an older man, uh, we're within about a 60 minute drive of some of the chirping epicenters of, that, of, of the annals of Canadian comedy. And so it's uh i have this pension i i don't have the guts to do it my my missus here we went to a comedy show a few weeks ago man and i want to try my hand at stand-up and i don't know how that'll work i've done some research on it and stuff they offer stand-up classes but i'm like yeah i can shit talk for 40 minutes i can probably do that i guess but uh yeah but uh but yeah i don't know i probably don't have the guts to do it really yet but uh especially well i I tell you what i'll give you your your first microphone opportunity to to try out some jokes at the elko show yeah Actually, you know what, man? I was um, there's a there's a lady. Have you heard of Western as as fuck? 
the YouTube yeah, channel. I, I love, I love their stuff. Absolutely. I do too. A couple of years ago when I was writing a lot of music, I, I reached out to them when I was living in Northern Ontario, Canada. And I, I sent them some of my demo stuff that's on YouTube. And I was like, I really, I want to be on Western as fuck. I do. And, uh, they're like, yeah, sure, man. Send us your channel. And they never really got back to me. It's just my assumption. I wasn't like a fit for that. At, certainly mm. at that time. And then when I moved here, uh, we have a my partner and I, Haley, have a mutual friend named Tessie Lou, who just released uh one of her uh Western as fuck videos. And I got the chance to play her set breaks at a small bar in a town she lives at here called Pony in uh Montana. And she's extremely okay. talented, spends a lot of her time in Nashville and in Texas, and a real up and comer. And uh she's actually we uh Haley and I went to a wedding last weekend. And uh, Tess was there and uh, she didn't play. She just got the chance to relax for the evening. And we all kind of got the chance to chat and a very nice lady. We did a fish trip too, where she had come out. Her boyfriend's dad is a guide. And then that they were going fishing that day. So she came and I was like, holy shit. So we got to have drinks and shoot the breeze and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, very cool. Very cool uh, lady on that, on that Western as fuck channel, man. I tried to get on that and it didn't really work out. So I'd appreciate the stand up. Maybe stand up's my thing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> hey, either way, man. It's uh, no. I'm I'm looking forward. Uh, like I said, we'll. Uh, I, I've got a. I know I've got a bit donated to, that we're going to auction off for charity, but I'm going to try to get some some more stuff donated that we can uh, we can do like an online auction for that will help uh, help pay the all the talent uh, for the for the Elko show, so I can. Yeah. Um, yeah, so make it work worth everybody's while a little bit more. I uh, know the last couple of years I haven't, uh, we paid something, but it's, it's never been much, but, but there we haven't had much of a crowd. And, and, uh, but now yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this year because they're going to have the full cowboy poetry gathering back in swing. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, we gotten really good with this venue, uh, for the last couple of years because we've been the only thing really the first two years ago during COVID we were the only live show during cowboy poetry. Like they, they did, uh, the folk life center did like, you know, their presentation online, but they, they, you know, everybody had recorded their sets, you know, a couple months beforehand and they just live streamed it later yeah. on. And so, so we were the only live, live entertainment in Elko that year. And then last year there was, it was us and, uh, and a couple other shows, but it was still pretty small, but now they're going to be back in, in, uh, in full swing and we're in good with that venue and it's a really good venue and um yeah so it's it's gonna be fun so i'm yeah. I'm wanting to do i think i gotta i gotta confirm it with uh with you know the lady that owns the venue but the way i want to set it up is do like a podcast version first to do like an hour and make it a like a comedy show so it'd be like you know three or four guys on you know or gals whoever uh and uh you know like do some reaction videos to uh, like horse wrecks and stuff and then you know and just tell jokes you know shit talk and uh entertain for about an hour and then <laughs> then afterwards we'll do like an invite only jam session and that that's when shit's gonna really get fun so we'll have uh we have i've got some really good uh some really talented folks lined up so it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun i gotta say i was i reached out to a couple of friends of mine recently like i've got I've got a couple of guitars I left at home and I've got mine here that I played at the gig in uh, Colorado, but, uh, I left a couple of left one in trust with my folks. Another one with a, a performing musician friend of mine from the army days and got the chance to, uh, 
Thank you. I just got a glass here. That's not, thanks, hon. Nice. Uh, and, uh, oh, damn, that's good. Um, what, what are you sipping on? So, uh, <clears throat> this is a cowboy, working cowboy podcast. That's why I'm hiding what I'm drinking in this. <laughs> uh, my missus had an online class before and I picked up dinner dinner and i made i got pizza and wine and so i don't want to be the guy with his pinky up drinking wine on a cowboy podcast but i but i am i'm sorry hey and, uh, dude you're uh you're <laughs> a uh multiple time deployed uh canadian special forces soldier so we'll only call you half gay for being canadian but uh, <laughs> the 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 rest of it you're you're a legit badass so you can drink whatever the fuck you want it don't matter and then, uh, <laughs> thanks matt and then my uh, partner here she uh, I like talking about my partner. I'm extremely proud of her and her work. And I think sometimes to her embarrassment, I bring up uh, proudly and, you know, a boy, I boast about what she does and how good she is at it. And she was a marketing director for Willie's distillery in, mm, uh, in awesome. Montana here. And she just brought in a, a cup of uh, Willie's wares here for me to enjoy. But uh, Hell yeah. 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 So well, that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the Devil's Brigade whiskey over here. I uh I've been debating whether or not I I should drink this bottle, but I I figure as long as I keep the the box and, and the original bottle intact, I can always buy another another bottle to keep on display. So you you can, yeah, absolutely. Like if you want to, if you want, I'll, I'll you know what, Ben, I'll make sure I bring you another bottle down, and we'll enjoy that when we get down there. There it's, we go. Uh, I don't know. I, I remember when you first talked about the bottle when this uh, this uh, live stream started. Um, you didn't kind of get into too much of the history of it, and if if I may, no, no, I was hoping. Yeah, I was hoping you would you would uh, you would go along with that, but I, I'll be the I'll be Vanna White here. Okay, yeah. So that's got that that particular type of whiskey is made by Willie's Distillery out of Ennis, Montana. That uh, that whiskey right there, it's a blended whiskey called the Devil's Brigade. And the Devil's Brigade is an homage to a World War II Joint Canadian and American Special Operations Unit um, that was built in the 40s to do special mission stuff against uh, against Hitler and the Nazis. Their, uh, one of their missions included some snow stuff on the Aleutian Islands, which is just off the coast of Mex- uh, Alaska. That mission was scrubbed, and then they were Rolexed and kind of rerouted over to Italy, where they started climbing mountains up the backside where the Nazis wouldn't expect them and kicking ass when they got to the top. Um, that particular whiskey is a blend of an American bourbon, 60% American bourbon, 40% Canadian rye whiskey, which is the actually the actual composition of the Devil's Brigade or the Black Devils because it was a 60% American unit, 40% Canadian, and their headquarters was in Helena, Montana, just south mm-hmm. of Alberta. Yeah, and those guys would go there, and they did a bunch of training. They would make mock-ups of villages that they were going to go hit in, in Europe and, and that kind of thing. And uh, they were they were taken from – there's actually a film about it that's an old, old film. It's a little bit on the loosey-goosey kind of side, but it's extremely entertaining if you like World War II movies. <laughs> and uh, they they took them in for this outfit that they needed to be uh, willing to volunteer for parachute training, which was a big deal back then. And it got the boys an extra 50 bucks on their month, on their paycheck. and uh, Which was a big deal. Yeah, that was like, a huge this deal back then. Great Depression yeah. era, so. Yeah, and they... Uh, so they they took rough and tumble guys from units that were already trained across the uh, across both the Canadian and U.S. military, like the guys that were maybe before they joined the army or got drafted, they were loggers, they were guides, they were hard nosed miners, 
Maybe mm-hmm. they were, uh, you know, they're guys that grew up hunting and fishing and not to say that not everybody did, but they, they picked particularly fit, smart, backwoods, savvy throat slit and face shooting dudes. And, uh, that was the badass kind of guys that they had recruited from this for this special outfit. Yeah. And, so uh, you had like Appalachians, you had like swamp yeah. people, you had Western, uh, and then like Canadians, you just had like, like Bush people, I guess. Yeah, like Bush people. There was a couple of very famous Canadians that were a part of it. Uh, a good, like I'm, a, I'm a half native myself, and I, I, I'm actually extremely proud of that. That my nanny was a full blood, and uh, and uh, there were a fair few number of uh, North American natives that uh, comprised the mm-hmm. unit as well, and their sniper detachments and those sorts of things. So it was very, very cool. And the guy that made that whiskey is a guy named Willie, and Willie himself is a uh, retired Green Beret Special Forces soldier who had served and uh that was his nod tip of the cap if you will to uh to to the men that came before us and as a canadian kind of they not the i'm sure i'm not the only canadian that's been into willies but i'm the i'm the token retired canadian special forces guy that hangs around in that little town and it means a lot to me to have given you that and i you know when jeremiah it was jeremiah's idea to, pre- to present that to you and i just i was beside myself man i was over the moon that we got the chance to do that and that he would include me in on that too and uh and what that no, means I, to us yeah i thought that was really fucking cool like i uh like i don't i don't get real choked up very often but i was, I was a little choked up on that one because i uh i wasn't expecting any i i just kind of threw my name in the in the ring because i have i'd never met met jeremiah in person i had him on the show a couple times and i could just tell like he's a very intense guy like he just he's intense but he's a good good son of a bitch. And I could tell, you know, he was talking about this, the, the war party movement the first time I had him and I had him on with a couple other, uh, veterans and, you know, so it's like, it's hard to focus in on one thing for too long. Cause you want to, you know, you want to get everybody their, their fair share. And, but yeah. I had him back on and had a really, and I just like, I, I, I've heard about the, you know, the, the trafficking deal on, on the res, you know, like I've heard about that for, for decades, but this is like the first time I've heard of anybody actually trying to do something about it. And I was like, and I, I'm not, I, I, my, <laughs> we could get into my, my, my background uh, or my, my upbringing some other time. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a fun one. Uh, but I, I was, uh, I was raised to believe that I was uh Lakota Sioux until and I found out that, Oh no, I'm not. I'm actually Mexican, half Mexican, but Okay. Uh, my, my mom, my mom pretended to be blind, uh, for a while and it worked like she got disability and shit for it. It was, it was weird. That was my, my, my biological mom anyway. So, okay. um, but so like, I, I'm like fa- familiar with like how like the tribes and shit work because I thought I was, you know, part of the, part of the Sioux tribe. And, uh, so I'd, I'd heard about these trafficking deals for, for quite some time. Um, but yeah, like I said, this is the first time anybody I'd seen anybody try to actually do something about it. And, uh, and turns out this guy's also like a legit badass, like a just straight stone cold killer <laughs> and, uh, and good at it. And you're like, instead, so instead of, instead of coming home from war and, uh, you know, festering in, in your own emotions and shit and, uh, and, and like not, you know, not getting on with life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and not just like not moving on with life, which, and like, not, that's not, that's not a knock on anybody. I'm not, I'm not saying that as, but well, it's like, it, it happens. It, it does happen. And, um, 
it was just like this guy is a, a guy that recognizes that the country has has invested millions of dollars in tra- into training him, and now he's using that training back home to do some some sort of good for him. I was like, that, that's so fucking cool. And yes. uh, if he needs a little cash, I don't have any, but I can I, I can <laughs> save I him. I can do. I do. Yeah, I know. I know some people that do, and I can save him a little bit of money, uh, and and go announce this thing and have you know. And at the same time, on a selfish note, you know, like I get to meet fucking cool guys like you, and I get to, you know, like I, I'd love to talk to the the you know the distiller there at, at Willie's sometime too. You know, just like yeah. like I I love that I, that's nerd. You know, when you t- start talking whiskey, that's nerd shit, and I'm a nerd at heart. So yeah, like I it, remember. Yeah, it, it, like I'm a bit of a nerd too. I, I remember I listened to a few podcasts on the way, not all of them, but I just kind of sifted through. We went through like when I drove back from the rant, uh, the war, the, the rodeo, we drove back mm-hmm. to Wyoming on a much more kind of picturesque, more rural kind of spot. So there wasn't a lot of spots of great service. So we dial up a Burning Daylight podcast and we'd run out of friggin' cell service and then we'd have to find one when we got back in, you know, kind of thing. You had spoken about whiskey, um, Canadian moonshine, and you said you called a bunch of your Canadian friends. They didn't know anything about that. Well, you know what, Matt? You should have called me because my daddy and I have been making moonshine since Christ was a cowboy. And, oh, uh, shit. Oh, shit. I knew, yeah. and, I knew uh, there was a reason. Yeah. I knew there was a reason we, that I needed to get you on this show. Yeah, and then you also spoke as well about prohibition era trafficking of not people but uh, moonshot like whiskeys and stuff like that from southern Alberta around the Fort Hoop up Lethbridge area down under the mm-hmm. shadow of the Grand Old Chief Mountain to get some Northern Rocky Mountain tax relief. If I can quote Cor Blund into Fort my best Benton. friend, <laughs> and I've actually become uh, a bit of a budding amateur historian on whiskey trade here in northern Montana, southern Alberta. And uh, as well as some of those old historic cowboy towns like the Montana Territorial Capital, Bonner, just up by Dillon, and then Fisherville, which was a huge gold rush town and whiskey town just north of about White Fi- or, uh, Eureka in southern British Columbia. And uh, I think that it would be cool if um, if we could do something. I don't know. This is just me kind of spitballing in because I love I'm not a cowboy. I, I feel kind of dirty. I got to say that on a cowboy friggin' uh, uh, podcast. I'm not. I don't know shit about cows, but I'm a backcountry horseman and a packer. That is my passion. Hey, see, that's that's Jeremiah's deal too. And yeah, the thing of it is, I, I I realized very early on, like I could talk cowboy stuff all day long, and, and you know, and never get tired of it. But I'm gonna repeat the same stories over and over and over, and that doesn't that's not gonna make for a good podcast. And then other cowboys on and talk to them, which is also a great idea. I can do that all day long if I can get them. I think it'd be cool if we were to lay on, or maybe I don't know how the hell we'd organize it, or because you know, in between cow stuff seasons and things. Uh, but I think a pack trip where the three of us, oh, shit, yeah. Friends, We'll take some 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 bottles, and we'll take some good grub, and we'll do uh, we'll do some time in the backcountry, dragging mules up mountains and stuff, man, and making fires and moving camp Heck every yeah. day, and seeing the beautiful uh, the beautiful parts of the country. That honestly, it, I feel kind of I feel uh, a little bit like you know I, I've seen the I've seen like I'm not even American, dude, and I've seen beautiful parts of this country that 
99.99% of folks that own and live part of this fucking country you'll never see. Because I know. This it's place, crazy. You can only get to, yeah, you can only get to some of the tops of these beautiful peaks where these there's these trails see traffic maybe twice a year. Maybe yeah. once a year, maybe maybe once every three years, and you get to see mm. that stuff, you know. And I've seen a fair bit of it. I spent did just shy of six hundred miles in the backcountry last summer. I've got a few, about half of that, maybe maybe a quarter of that so far this summer, uh, this season here in the state, and then uh, later this this month, actually in a couple of weeks. Heck, um, I'm I'm working for a guide outfit, uh, an elk hunting outfit packing ass and trash and groceries and happy people in and tired people out and elk mm-hmm. and stuff. So I get to spend another, you know, another couple hundred miles in the saddle coming up in the fall, which is my favorite time. Of Hell year. Yeah. So I think it'd be kind of yeah. neat to do a little pack trip around someplace, man. We get to show you the backside of the Sphinx mountain out here and, you know, no cell phone service, that kind of thing. I'd be kind of neat. We could do that. I, I'd love to. I'd love to. And uh and then just <clears throat> rounding up on that point, like don't don't worry about uh this being the cowboy podcast. Like, like I said, <laughs> there there's there's times where like if if I could just interview old cowboys every every episode, I would do that, but that's not possible because <laughs> there's there's yes. not enough of them out there and they're hard to get a hold of a lot of times. And I like I was telling you before, like I I I, I, I I have dealt with everything on, uh, I've had people show up in the middle of, uh, one of these bull session podcast, like, uh, police show up at, at, at their house when, when we're in the middle of recording the podcast and I, like, I don't know what, what exactly went on, but cops showed up for some reason, but like it there, the technology thing is always, a. uh, and yeah. I, I've got it. I've got my setup now to where if 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 all else fails, I can just like hey, text you my number and it's like give me a call and I can plug it in and 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 we're good. But I, I learned I learned probably six months into this deal that, um, yeah, as long as it's something that a guy then you know the guys that I know you know and I I I, I consider guys like yourself in that same category of cowboy where you're, you're, you're making part of your live, or at least part of your living a horseback, um, whether you're, whether it's cows or not, but it's, it's still part of that Western culture. And if it's something that, that I'd like, I want to listen to. And like I said, I, I I knew that I wanted to, I wanted to have you on it and just shoot the shit. And so I knew, I knew the, the people that, that listen to this show for cowboy shit are also going to, want to listen to what you have to say because you got some cool stories to tell. I know, I know you do. So you already have already. And like the, the fucking history thing is fucking, we, we should probably look into maybe doing a history podcast on, on just like on, on whiskey and shit. That would, that would be cool. That would be so, cool. Yeah. I, I'm sure I could, uh, you talk to my missus and, um, get a, a, his, a history kind of podcast on that kind of thing. I, I don't know. Like I, I take a lot of my, honestly like like a lot of us right like the in the oral tradition of telling stories and mm-hmm. writing songs and in, in, in the western horseman tradition and the cowboy not western horseman like the magazine but like the western horsemanship yeah. kind of stuff uh i i got i get some of my histories or at least i get my interest peaked about certain types of stories and histories through song and yeah. one of them was, Cor, was Cor Blunt, man and uh the five dollar yeah. bill and like, I was like, I want to learn about whiskey trade over the border during prohibition. I started chasing down yeah. leads and visiting uh, cabins on the border at little museums and stuff. And it just kind of, it really did pique my interest on that, sh- on that stuff, man. And, uh, and then visiting some of these old historic cowboy towns here that are national historic sites like Virginia city, 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, and Pincher Creek, just north of the border. Uh, Fort Benton is one I, it's on my list. I think maybe I should make a weekend trip of that and go down there and do some walking around because there was the whiskey trail, as they say, uh, from back then in the 1800s, went from Lethbridge, Alberta, that was called Fort Whoop Up to mm. Fort Benton. And this, uh, you know, illegal, some legal, but mostly illegal whiskey trade would take place back and forth. How that affected the Native American population, how that affected border issues, policing, and and of course the kinds of people that were doing this because a lot of it wasn't legal. There were some real cutthroat dudes that were doing this stuff. You know what I mean? So some fly by night oh, yeah. operations, and you come across someone on the trail, and having been on lone trails in the middle of nowhere, like and this is going to sound kind of creepy, but like I come from the profession of arms where hurting people was my job for a long time, like. You could kill these people here and you're in the backcountry and no one would ever find them. And like, oh, yeah. I think about like, like that's a terrible thing to think. And not that I would do that, but that was life back then, especially mm-hmm. if you had a couple hundred or a thousand dollars worth of back then money, whiskey in your, in your cart or in your saddle bags or in your, you know, and to think about that, I was like, it's pretty cutthroat days, man. Uh, you know, there was real mixing put like just after the civil war of, people looking for a better life, uh, you know, north oh, fighting yeah. south, and then they'd, they'd all put their tools down, come out west, and then guys that were fighting against each other a year ago were now neighbors. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so, and some of that stuff still, like, you know, you don't forget that you spent oh, yeah. your life fighting these guys, and now this motherfucker's running farm equipment next door, you know what I mean? Like, it, uh, it, it's such an interesting melting pot of history and culture and everything. And there was the Chinese mm. influence railroad. It's just fascinating to live in this part of the frigging country, man. Oh man. It's, I, it's, there, there's no more, like there's probably three periods of time of history that are more interesting than the American, you know, like the American Canadian and even, you know, like Mexican West. Cause like the shit between, between Texas and Mexico uh, back in the day, where I mean, they're just raiding each other back and forth. And I mean, it was just like that whole thing was wild. And at the same time, it's like, if the natives had, had uh, access to modern uh, armaments at the same level that, uh, that the whites did not a chance the whites would have would have ever took the the West, you know, like not a chance. Yeah. If if you if you're talking, you know, even even like their the, their original numbers, but at the same level of armament as the as the you know the American or Canadian troops, like oh, they would have been slaughtered where they stood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree, man. I, I I've got to I've got to chime in and say like I, I agree with that. I think that the in the Northeast, the history of the, the my, my favorite periods of history kind of in this country are like the just post-colonial sort or pre-colonial sort of thing. Like they, they had won the war. It was Washington and his spies and that kind of thing, like Culpepper time mm-hmm. frame in Connecticut, Philadelphia. Uh, oh, yeah. Another one would be the Independence War for California. Howdy there. I'm Matt McKinley with the Burning Daylight podcast. You ever wanted to make a podcast? Well, Spotify's got a platform that makes that lets you make one super easily. And then you can distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for for podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from the phone or computer. Uh so no matter what uh your setup was like, you can uh start creating today. 
then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And uh, if you like my show, Fence Post Politics with my buddy Aaron, that's the place to watch it because it's all video all the time. And we uh, like we share videos, we comment on videos, we share news articles and uh, and funny memes. So um, it's pretty cool. Um, and also, if you want to take your conversations to, uh, with your fans to the next level, uh, your question and answer, answer and polls are the best way to get them talking. You can attach that to your your podcast there, and, and you get your you get you know valuable interactions with your fan your fans. And uh, <clears throat> with Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. And that's, uh, that, that is true. Um, <laughs> I'm supposed to do a testimonial here. Um, but anyways, this is the, the podcast I use, or the podcast uh, host that I use. I like Spotify. They're, uh, they're very good on just letting you do your thing uh, with, uh, with no catch to it. Uh, there's a good reason why Joe Rogan hosts podcasts on Spotify. And, and this is uh, this is a great way to get started. If you, if you have ever thought about starting a podcast, this is where I would send anybody to go. Um, <clears throat> best thing you can do is just download the Spotify for podcasters app, or you can go to Spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. And yeah, if you've ever thought about, just doing a podcast or if you're tired of paying a monthly service that uh, doesn't seem to do much for you, Spotify podcasters is your spot. So uh, go to spotify.com slash podcasters or download the app today. Uh, that oh, was shit, yeah. really interested me as well. And then the conquest, if you will, of the West. You yeah, know, there was wagon trains from St. Louis and Chicago trying to make it to Oregon, Washington, mm-hmm. across this, like literally, right? Like Bozeman, where I'm living right now, looking out the oh, window. Sure, like, yeah. this, this was a spot where they would stop. You know, Bozeman himself was scalped by the natives a few miles to the east of where I'm sitting, you know, and and the, you know, the, oh, yeah, there, there was, yeah. Uh, there's still wagon train uh, tracks uh, about uh, about 10 miles south of where I grew up from the Santa Fe Trail. Like, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. They have one here in the state too, where uh, the first territorial capital of Montana, before it was even a state, it was a territory, and it was it was Virginia City. But before it was before that was made the capital, the biggest city center or town center was Bannock, or sorry, was Bonner. Uh, mm-hmm. Bannock, actually, sorry. If you it was it's maybe a few hours drive, but you can actually drive parts of the wagon trail over a mountain pass to get into that. So now that now Bannock's a ghost town now. Um Bannock's a total ghost town. It's just falling down old cabins and stuff and VC Virginia City still well kept. But that wagon train over now there's a reservoir dam kind of through it in spot, but we drove mm-hmm. that and did a weekend in the vicinity of it and did some touring there a few in the spring. And it's just it is this very strange feeling you get that you're like, I'm literally driving my 2019 Toyota Tacoma with a rooftop tent and all my camping shit on the same trail that 150 years ago, they would use this track to get gold money 
and hookers and Chinamen yeah. and, you know, supplies, survey trips and survey teams and stuff mm-hmm. in and out of Yellowstone. And it's just a very strange kind of cool. You pull over that you can't see a house and the wind blows and it kind of whips through your clothes and stuff. And you feel a very strange connection to the land that I don't, that I don't feel very often. And it was just really, yeah. Really yeah. Did you ever uh, read Lonesome Dove? Uh, no, <laughs> I'll tell you, <clears throat> I haven't. I understand that the Lonesome Dove ranch is based off of a ranch that is the story ranch. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that story. Um, ranch, it was, it was based off of, uh, uh, Charlie Goodnight and, um, what's his name? Um, loving Richard loving. It was uh, okay. based is loosely based around their friendship. Um, but anyway, there's, there's a big, like the first, you know, in the first part of the book slash or in the, in the series, like either way, if you want hit either one of those, uh, the book's way better, but the, the, the television series is also a fucking masterpiece because it, it's, that's the ultimate cowboy show really is, yeah. is lonesome enough. It, it's got oh, yeah, everything. Yeah. It's got the love story. It's got, uh, it's got the, you know, cowboys and indians it's got outlaws and it's got actual cowboy shit yeah yeah i uh when i first started so i i did a kind of a cowboy or western horsemanship program last summer and one of the guys that was helped teaching that and it was specifically for vets that had been through a lot of combat stuff and they were a little bit okay yeah messed up it's called heroes and horses yes i've uh, heard of it yeah, yeah, I, I was the only I, I've been the only international student and the only Canadian to ever participate in Heroes and Horses. And I had nice. the chance, chance to go back there and contribute my time and and help with that program this year, teaching packing and and you know leading some class stuff. Uh, but when I made a really good friend there, he's from Texas. He's a cow. He's probably the most cowboy guy that I've ever met. But I mean, I also haven't met that many. Um, yeah, young guy just just eats, breathes, and sleeps it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, w- I would come and frequent this ranch that they own out towards uh, Alder in Montana, and uh, he had a place in the winter. And I showed up after a kind of a I was going through some stuff in my life, man. And I I had a via I, I was not involved, but I was on scene at a, at a at a traffic accident. It was really bad in northern Alberta, leaving my friend's house. He's a Canadian special forces guy and a cowboy, and he makes saddles. And I was on my way down to. I don't know where the hell I was going, but I I came upon a big vehicle wreck. I was first guy on scene, some dead dudes, some burnt bodies, stuff like that. It kind of reminded me a lot of some stuff I'd seen in the war. And Mm. uh, I stayed in a little cowboy town in Alberta called Longview that night, and I couldn't sleep. I'm tossing and turning. It was wintertime in northern Alberta, and it's cold. And there was something – it was like I woke up like in a shot in the middle of the night. I'm staring at the ceiling, and it was almost like it was written on the ceiling. It said, get to the ranch. And so I – had my passport stamped at the border and I was there in a day and a half and I stayed with my friend Jake and he asked me, have you ever seen Lonesome Dove? And I'm like, no, I haven't. Cause that wasn't a thing where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can say that we put this show on and him and I proceeded to bro down and talk about our fathers and our upbringing. And, you know, we were hugging it out and crying and talking mm-hmm. about this bull he rode and this calf he roped and that kind of thing. And that time he's like the best calf I ever doctored. No one was there to see it. Like the kind of, the oh, yeah. unsung sort of things that a lot of real true range riding cowboys feel and experience. Right. And I was kind of an air because I'm a backcountry packer and that's cool to me. And he's never done that stuff. And, but I've been like, yeah, I've been that man. I've been like on that, that horse rack where all your shit flies down the mountain and no one's there to fix it. But you like, and I got to do mm-hmm. that. And that was my, my shining moment 
being a backcountry horseman and no one was there to see it. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a, kind of similar in that respect, but I learned a lot about the story of the Lonesome Dove Ranch and how that I understand is supposed to be loosely based on a ranch that's someplace around here where they set up shop. And uh, yeah, same with, same with 1883, that film that's like the precursor to Yellowstone. That's mm-hmm. supposed to be, you know, they, they t- shot that in a bunch of spots around here too. And that was from Texas to supposed to be on the way to Washington, Oregon, I think. But uh, great um, shows, man. Yeah, they, they really are. Uh, lo- and Lonesome Dove is just a like. Yeah, if if you want to like understand the like the modern cowboy psyche, is just watch watch Lonesome Dove and and if you got time, read Lonesome Dove because the book's always fucking better, and we all know it is. You know, like I love a good movie, and yeah. I love the shortcut, but I'm also like I'm a nerd. I like a good book <laughs> fucking. I I just um actually the the episode I got going out tomorrow, uh, was so wild. I I so I get. I I'm on a, a couple different publicists uh, uh, email list now, <laughs> just because I signed up for him just for potential guests for the podcast. And this one dude, um, well, this this publicist, uh, and it's just regular, you know, standard email list deal. And uh, and it was about a like a modern day cattle wrestler, and I and and then you know then there was like a press packet that got sent with it so it was a dropbox file and it had like a you know a pdf file of the book so i started reading it and uh, and the guy that that wrote the book lived down the road and was friends with like one of the most prolific cattle wrestlers in modern history wow yeah and uh and so he ended up writing it he turned it into a novel because uh and he, he said in in the show he's like I, I i just hate doing research he's like i know the story well enough but apparently he got a lot of a lot of doors slammed in his face and uh and uh you know when he when he started asking questions because he was friends with this guy you know and this guy screwed a lot of people out of a lot of money and um but it, and it was one of the craziest stories I've, I've ever heard. But it was, uh, yeah. That that's it's, the book is called Branded, and uh, yeah. Okay. Fucking why? Text me that, man. I'm I'm going into elk camp there shortly, and I'm gonna probably you know aside from really early mornings, and they'll have a bit of time when the clients go out and stuff during the day. But uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna need a good book up in camp, so I'll uh, heck yeah, I'll take you up on I'll, that. yeah, man. I'll uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll just forward that over to you. It's uh, cool, cool. It, it's a uh, it's a uh, I haven't finished the book yet, but uh, I, I read. Like so, GQ did a like a big um, expose on it back in the day. It was like I think their their the article came out in like oh five or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So like it's uh, you know what it spanned from like the 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 eighties to the like the late nineties or early two thousands or something like that. But the guy's still alive. He's in he's in jail, um, or well. He's in Texas, uh, Huntsville State Prison in Texas, uh, on fourteen consecutive life sentences, for and cattle. not a, not a single not a single conviction for cattle wrestling. But cattle wrestling is what started it all. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So okay. he broke out of jail and went on a little uh, little fun spree, and that's what that's they had enough just from that little deal to, to get fourteen. Forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so okay, they, okay. they didn't have to fuck with the the cattle because uh, you know when it came down to it, they're like, ah, those cattle are long gone. So yeah, but, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it it was crazy, but uh, yeah, that 
it's it's just funny how uh like there's certain certain books that'll always resonate with the the cowboy world but lonesome dove uh whether it's a, you know either the show or the book like that's that's number one in the in the cowboy world anymore that's cool man that's cool i i need to get i'm i'm a i've got one on the go right now called uh the lakes and the rivers and i i only recently learned about my native heritage in the last mm-hmm. couple of years uh, in, in keeping with the the kind of war party thing, um, there was a, there has been in, in recent news in the last year uh, mass graves found behind churches of native right. dead kids yeah. in Canada to, to the tunes of thousands. And the Highway of Tears, and I know they have one here in America, but up in Canada, that's Highway that's BC Highway ninety seven that goes up into Northwest Territory, and that's got more or sorry, into the Yukon through Northern British Columbia. And that's got more murdered and missing indigenous women per kilometer of that highway than anywhere else in the country. Mm. And I drove that last year on my way to do a bit of guiding in Alaska last season this time. And it was kind of important and very special to me at that time. And I didn't know of my own native heritage at that point. My brother had been working on a family project to prove that. And the reason it was so hard for us to prove my nanny being a full blood is because she denounced not a, a much of her native uh, citizen nationship, if you will, because at the time that she was a little girl, uh, that was around the time of the scoop in the sixties when the government would come out and they would grab your kids if you were native and they would put them in these residential schools and then try and educate the native out of them. And so yeah. his family had kind of, they changed their name and, and that kind of thing. And, and so that they wouldn't take away their kids and that's so that that wouldn't percolate down to her kids, which is like my mom. And, um, and so it was challenging to, to kind of trace back this genealogical kind of time. But uh, but it, it, my brother pulled it off. And so now I feel a, a real pull to that stuff. And I had the privilege. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to mention that on the podcast here, but uh, Jeremiah hit me up a few in the spring about a, a na- he didn't know much about the native scene in Canada. And I, I don't know much about it in Alberta or B.C. because I grew up in Ontario. But I knew that if I picked up the phone and called the local band office and needed a place for someone to stay. That wouldn't be too hard because he had a, a follower, uh, an inf- not an influenced follower, but like just a person that, that needed their help. That was Canadian. Mm-hmm. And he he kind of stick handled that use a Canadian saying stick handled. He stick mm-hmm. handled that in my direction. And we were able to help that, that family out. And it meant a lot for me to participate in that kind of, in that remotely. I did it all by cell phone here from mm-hmm. my, my Mrs. Condo in Bozeman, but I got to be a part of what that looks like at the shop floor and help really help somebody out that was going through, you know, some, she was in a bad relationship and needed a place to get out and maybe needed a bit of medical care and some treatment, stuff like that. And, and, you know, I was able to make some calls and, and help out. And it meant, it meant a lot to me. And I want to continue to be able to look, to, look upon to participate in stuff like that in the future. No, that's, that's awesome. I, uh, I, I just, you know, there, there's a, it goes back to like the, that old, like, uh, I don't know if it was the same in Canada, but like our, our generation here in the States, it was just like, you know, go to college, go to college, go to college, get a, you know, get, get, get a high paying job. And then like, we get to college, uh, like, uh, you know, there was a lot of people like join a fraternity, join, join the fraternity. And like, why? And they're like, well, that's for the networking. And, uh, and so I kind of, I kind of get it now, but also like I met, I met you and Jeremiah and I didn't have to hold a Oreo cookie between my ass cheeks and, uh, enchant something weird. So, I mean, we, we did that out of fun, you know, that was fun. 
Like, yeah, we, we, we that, didn't do that because it was a ritual. That's how you can network when you're an adult. But when you're 19 or 20 and you're in a college, yeah. I guess holding Oreos and marshmallows between your butt. I, I went to college and we had a, a bad rookie, rugby, rookie initiation of rugby. And it was honestly some of the hazing I dealt with in that shit was worse than the kind of crap I dealt with in the special forces. Like we didn't, I didn't <laughs> oh, get I, I like when you were in, that's one of the things that was beauty about the special forces. Once you got in, no one treated you like a shit bag. There's no probate. There was probationary period, but it wasn't like do a bunch of stupid stuff. And then the boys will like you like, no, no man. You're like, you just did a 12 month or 11 month long hard course with a three week selection at the front end of it. Like you're, you're in the club. Like you, you did yeah. all the hard shit. Like, but your I, I probation like, is like once you once you get like live fire and you react like you're supposed to and instead of like a bitch like that then probation's over basically well, <laughs> right there's a lot of the <clears throat> psychology behind selecting a special forces guy there where you can probably you can usually tell how a guy is going to react because we put the mm-hmm. guys and i and i say this with we like i don't do it anymore but i did so i'm waving my knife around i got this cool war party uh no yeah thing from jeremiah and i found a knife that fits it so i'm playing with it because i need to take it yeah but uh but uh but yeah you can you 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 put guys through the paces in selection so you know how they react under really really stressful situations so you don't have to worry about a guy wigging out in live fire uh but but Mm. uh, but i get it yeah you're right like your baptism by fire is is a big deal as a soldier um there are there are two types of soldiers ones that have been in a gunfight and ones that haven't their whole mm-hmm. career. Some guys have never been shot at or fired their gun. And then of the guys that have been in a gunfight, there's two types. And those two types are guys that have never been on the losing end of a gunfight and guys that have. And uh, then I can say that I've been, I've been in all those categories kind of thing. And I, it's like a measure of a guy, like a guy might ride a horse his whole life, but he never was on a cowboy crew. So he doesn't feel like a cowboy. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, like that kind of thing. Yeah. There's like little, little benchmarks a guy kind of wants to do so that he can prove himself in a community. I find that the cowboy community very challenging for me to break into. And by break into, like, I just, I feel, and this is just me being, don't me wrong, man. I think cowboys are great human beings. They tell you the truth. They look you in the eye, like, you know, they'll, they'll punch you in the face if you deserve it, but they won't, if you don't kind of thing, you know, and I, and I really mm-hmm. respect a lot of those parts of the old code of the West. I really do. And, but there are, but there are some elements of it that I just, I can't, I have a hard time with dude. Like I don't like some of the, the bravado and the machismo stuff. I get that, but there is, there's elements of it where nobody's ever fucking doing it right. Except the guy that's doing it right now. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, that, oh, you didn't you didn't push as many cows as I did last week, so you're less of a cowboy. I'm like, okay, man. Like, all right, you know, I, I can't. Yeah. No, the 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 real. All right, so the real cowboys, and then I I consider myself one of those, and a lot of people maybe maybe don't, but I've I've uh, I've lived in in a bunkhouse up in northern Montana in the winter. I've uh, I've drug I've drug. For chilled calves into the barn uh on a, on a little toboggan sled um mm-hmm. i've uh, i've rode pins in 107 degree heat uh with no wind in kansas like i i've done i've done a little bit of everything in the cowboy world and i think i've I've kind of earned that point where i i i call myself one of the you know i, I make my horseback or i make my living a horseback you know that, that's mm-hmm. that's what i do and the 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 people the, the the really good hands that I respect, they'll talk some shit, they'll give you hell, but 
they look at it like, did you get the job done and did you cause a wreck? <laughs> causing okay. the causing the wreck is like, all right, did you do the, did you cause the wreck on purpose or did you cause it because you were in the wrong spot or did, did you cause the wreck because something blew up in front of you that you had no control over because, yeah. and it's, I guess it, I bet it would just, it's the same way on the, you know, you get, like once you pass your, your selection and everything and, and you're, you're in your unit, but you're on probationary period. It's like, all right, well then let's see, you know, what happened on this. And then you're like, all right, so I, I've got that under my belt. You know, I've done this. Yeah. And it's, it's like you said, you know, you've been on the losing end of a gunfight. It's the same way in the cowboy where like, have you, have you got on a bucking horse? Okay. Well, did you get back or did you get bucked off? Not on that one. Okay. Well, did you get on another bucking horse that actually did buck you off? Okay. You did. All right. Well, did you get back back on that horse? Yeah. Yeah. And then did he keep bucking throughout the whole day? And did you survive that and not, and not give up on that horse? Cause if you did, then that's basically being on the losing end of a gunfight, you know? And, and so there's, there's, there's all those benchmarks, but at the end of the day, like a good hand will recognize like, ah, that guy might not know what the fuck he's doing, but he's trying his ass off. And, and he's also listening to instruction. And I don't know, there, there's, Cowboys are also douchebags at times. <laughs> I, don't know. I might, I might lose some, some listeners over it, but that's uh it's the truth. Cowboys can be real douchebags, but it's just the same way. Like there's a lot of military guys that can be real fucking assholes. hundred percent. Like, it doesn't matter what you did for a job your whole life, man. Like if you're an asshole, you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be a really good at whatever you do, whether you're, you know, whether you drive Uber or you pour concrete, like, you might be really good at that. You can still be an asshole. You might be really bad mm-hmm. at what you do and you're a nice guy. You might, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it takes all kinds, man. And I think that one of, that was one of the things I struggled with when I left the military. Cause I got in so young, I'd been one thing my whole life. And I, I worried that it defined me, you know, and, and it, and it kind of, I let it, you know, and, and it's now in, in retirement, I have less time retired as a civilian person now today than I do on deployed combat operations. So I'm still figuring out, I still have less time in gun. I still have less time as a free long haired Sibby, my long hair here than I do in the war. So I'm still figuring out what that feels like. Yeah, that's still more normal to me than kind of getting up in the morning, wherever the fuck I want and doing whatever I want all day, or, Hey, maybe I'll go help these guys out at this ranch. Or maybe I'll do whatever, you know what I mean? And so I'm still feeling out how to define myself. And I, I think that when we start letting a jaw, that's one of the things about cowboy lifestyle, which is very similar to the military is, you got to mm-hmm. love the lifestyle. Like there's a part of that lifestyle that's hard and your hands are frozen and you're up early. You're going to bed late. You know, you got your really good buddies that you friggin' trust mm-hmm. and you don't get paid that great. It's kind of thankless, but you got to love something about it to keep doing it. And I yep. think that that's why I like the, the cat, like there was a, there was an outfit at the, at the rodeo called cow goons. And it's kind of mm. this homage between gun tote and army guys to kind of transition to cowboys kind of thing. Yeah. And I kind of, I drew that parallel. I don't think that's what it's about, but that's what happened in my brain. And, and I get that. Like I, I, I get it a lot. And I, and I really feel at home running a gun in the woods with my frigging operator friends. And I really feel at home uh, on the backcountry trail, dragging a string of mules with a couple of really close buddies, man, to, you know, have a drink by a campfire with and stuff like that and catch a cutthroat trout and bugle and elk and i really like that stuff and it just kind of so happens the type of guy that joins the army is the kind of guy that enjoys pushing cows and doing big gather ups and range riding too so the, the personality is very similar 
No, I, I've, I've said that since the very get go of, uh, uh, particularly just, uh, like the more, the more people that I've met in like the, in particularly in the special forces type, uh, or special operations community, like it's, uh, it's very similar to the life lifestyle of like, a of just, uh, cause you're working with the bare bones and, uh, and they're just like, all right, you need to get from here to here. Go. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's it. Like that's kind of what you got, and you're like, "Well, shit, I got this guy, got this guy, that guy, and what the fuck?" Um, you know, you're like, I, I don't know how many times I've done that. Like, all right, so these cows are gonna fucking run as soon as we open the gate. That guy's gonna be tuning on his horse the whole time and not gonna be worth a pint of cold piss. Um, that guy is gonna be whipping and spurring and be in the wrong position at all times and. I got to keep them off the highway. So let's how fuck. I hope this works out. All right. You know, and you're just like, you're barking orders and you're trying to not piss them off, but also get the job done, kick, kicking them in the ass at the same time. And you're, yep. yeah. 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 And it's just, uh, but you know, I, I guess the, 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 the luxury you, uh, y'all would have is, uh, everybody in your, your unit is uh, highly trained and not, not so much on the cowboy crew sometimes. Yeah, I did a, well, it was actually kind of serendipitous that you mentioned that story. I was on, I was uh, doing some class leader stuff for this heroes and horses program. That's that veteran veteran program, mm-hmm. turning dudes into, you know, turning their lives around, reinvigorating the fire in these men's lives through the vehicle of a literal horse kind of thing. And, uh, and we did a cow, we did a gathering, and uh a push over a range with the range riders in Preston, Idaho. And it was like that. Like we were not riding cow horses. Like I'm sitting like the cow boss is like kind of you know, two passes over, two drainages over kind of thing. And and it was yelling at people. And it was really funny. Once we got them over this pass, uh, we got them down into this draw that was kind of covered with it. It's it's kind of scrub country, a bit of sagebrush and stuff like that. Um, up in this mountain pass for an association and uh, we had a 12 man crew. None of us knew what the hell we were doing except for the two range riders that worked there. And they had agreed to take us out for this experience. And I'm leading these men and they're looking at me like I'm supposed to know what to do. I was like, I've never done a fucking gathering. And uh, <laughs> we're all on Mustangs. We're on Mustangs that are not cow horses. Some of these Mustangs, I was riding a green broke 17 year old mare Mustang with one eye. And oh, like a good the, one, just a oh real yeah. good one. All the other guys are riding, they're riding dude, dude Mustangs for this program. Now they're good. They're good horses, right? But they're not cow horses. They don't like their trail bound, they're herd bound. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then, so we're, we're kicking, you know, like kicking cows in the face and this, we get them all down to this drainage and the dust and the noise and the way the dust hangs mm-hmm. underneath the, the can, the, the tree canopy in the bottom and the yelling, it was actually very reminiscent of a gunfight. No joke, because you don't know where the hell anybody is. We got them to where they're supposed to be, but we don't know what the next phase of the operation is. And we're just kind of like looking at each other and trying to make sure cows aren't laying down in the shade and keep them moving kind of thing. And it was just, it was. And uh, it's actually funny. My my partner, Haley, comes from Ranch ranch Stocks, her family ranch in uh, North Dakota. They've got, mm-hmm. uh, they've got cows. And they have a t-shirt hung up in their tax shed with a saddle shed that says, I'm sorry about the shit I'm going to, I said to you when we were moving cows. And, I'm like, <laughs> and, I, and I remember mentioning, like seeing that, I knew this was going to happen. And I said that, you know, day one of a five day cow camp, pushing these guys for five days. 
And um, I was like, I'm sorry about the stuff I'm going to say to you when we're doing this, because I'm, I'm going to get fired up just like all of us, man. We have that disposition. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny how, you know, it's a man's world, but there are some ladies that fit in just fucking fine. You know, like there, there's like, there's some ladies like you don't even question, but like more often than not, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a guy's deal. Uh, whether, whether it be soldiering or, or cowboying, you know, like it, it, that's a, it's a hard job and then it takes, mm-hmm. it takes a, it takes some big dumb idiots to do it, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, for the, for the lack of a better, better way to put it. it like it really yeah. does just take some people that like, I mean, I, I, sh- I should have seen, should have seen this thing a couple of days ago. I'll send you a video of it, okay. um, but I, I got kicked in the face here two days after I got back from Colorado and uh, it was about a 600 pound heifer. And I looked like I, uh, I looked like um fucking cowboy Cerrone after uh, that, that one fight where they called it when he blew his nose and uh, they, like they were going to cut him, but he blew his nose and it just puffed his eye completely shut. I, I looked about like that. <laughs> and, uh, and the hell of it was, I just like, it just looked really bad. It, it I mean, it kind of hurt, but it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. I've, I've, I've had worse. I had way worse, yeah, okay. but, uh, yeah, it just, I don't know. Like there's, I, I, I sent that picture to a bunch of people and they're just like, Oh my God, are you okay? And I, no, I'm fine. <laughs> um, but then like people have done it before, like, well, what the fuck did you do? Where'd you fuck up? <laughs> you know, like yeah, what, yeah. what happened? And, I don't know. It just takes a certain mindset of, of people that like are willing to do that. And like, cause I, I know people that have, have quit over shit like that. And I, I, like, I never even, like I had still had to get my rope back, you know, like, fuck, I had, I had shit to do. I don't know. I never thought about like quitting, but I like, I, I've, I've known people that have, like they've got kicked in the leg by a cow and they're just like, fuck this. I'm done. I can't do this. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, just no, getting started. That. Like, that's like barely getting started, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I can say like, I've, I've been in some situations where like I wanted to quit every single, probably every five seconds for days and uh, in in the army. But, uh, but I can say about the, the comment about the, you know, like, like ladies doing this kind of stuff, man. Like I look at like my, like my partner, man, she has forgotten more about horsemanship than I will ever know. hundred percent. And, uh, she's, yeah, she, she's, uh, she's something else. And, I get to go out to her place once in a while for family events and things like that and ride her pony. Like I, I always only, I only ever rode like broke ass dude horses. And then I get on her ponies. She used to do, she used to guide around here doing horseback mm-hmm. stuff too. But I get on hers, man. I've never been on a real good horse in my life. I get on hers like, this is what the rest of the fucking horsemanship world feels like. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. crazy. But uh, yeah, there, there's that moment when you get on a, like on a, yeah. When you get on a good horse that does what it's supposed to do without like you asking it to like, that's you're like, Oh yeah, this, yeah. this is, this is awesome. Yeah. I only recently hit a play and I don't even know if this is true or not. Cause I don't know enough about, I don't know enough about it, man. I'm so new, but uh, like before up until this past, until I started riding super green horses, I like they knew more about how to horse than I knew how to ride. And then, mm. you know what I mean? And then, and then something changed this year. I'm still kind of trying to figure it out. I still don't know enough, man, to, to kind of, you know, tip my hat and say, I know a thing about a thing, but 
but uh, that's kind of where I sit, man. And I, and I spend time with people that are very talented. I like my partner, like, uh, uncle Ben works at the ranch, you know, like guys like Jeremiah, like uh, guys that can really fucking ride. And, uh, and I, you know, I kind of like sit there in sponge mode and try to shut my mouth. Cause I got some things I do know, but then I let that get in the way of things I don't. And I'm like, ah, sometimes I'm not as humble as I ought to be. I think, uh, yeah. But that, that's in my mind a lot, though. You know what I mean? And try and be humble. Like, be proud about what you do know and be confident in what you do know, but also know when to shut your mouth. And I yeah. think, I don't know, maybe I'd be a decent hand on an outfit. I don't freaking know. We'll see. And this uh, this is my, I guess, the third outfit I'll ride for. Yeah, coming up this year, this will be the third outfit I'll ride, I'll ridden for since I got out of the Army. So I like you, man. Like, I take my, the paychecks I get are from the government for disability for shit I did in the war. Every other dollar I've ever made is on horseback. So I, I'm, I'm kind of in that vein with you as well, man. So I kind of, I kind of, I'm pretty proud of that too. Hell yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you, uh, you get out of hunting season and you get bored. Uh, you may holler. I bet you we can, we can find you a job riding pins for a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, that'd be some, that'd be some, that'd be cool experience. Uh, I have to job see, I talk that over my missus. I I'm very, like, look at my gut. I'm very comfortable in my life now. But yeah, that'd be a really cool experience, man. Um, we'll talk with that a little bit later. Yeah, cool. for sure. I was going to say, um, I don't know how much time you got left. Uh, I was going to, we'll do uh, like plug, plug your music uh, a little bit before we, we get out and then we'll do a little bonus section for, for my, my Patreon listeners. And we'll just, we'll, we'll talk shop about music in general, but like, I, I wanted to get some music in before, before you left, because I, that's how I, I, I got introduced to you. It was, uh, you, yeah. you were, you were just wailing some Tyler chillers on the, on the back of a flatbed trailer when the, yeah. when I first saw you. And, uh, and I, I love me some Tyler Childers and, uh, and I, I like a guy that can do him justice. So, uh, so how'd you, how'd you get started in music? Uh, well, I got to tell you that I don't remember how old I was when I started plunking around on an old guitar. I think I was about 10, I think. Um, nice. I think, yeah, I can't, it's at that time, you know, you think back to your childhood, you don't remember how old you were, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I got started, man. And I, my musical career went from playing in, in crappy punk and rock bands in high school in garages. And then I went to, uh, I went, I, I, I hitchhiked across Australia and I fell in love with acoustic music, but it was like, this is going to sound weird, but it was like surf music. Like yeah. Jack Johnson and. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like that, like that kind of like. like, feel good. Matthews like, I just, type. like I, yeah. I didn't touch an electric guitar after that for probably 10 years. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah. And then I, a few years ago, like I used to play the odd pub and stuff on the East coast in college for money but that was not never electric stuff. You know what I mean? And then, you know, I think 2016, 17, I had just got back from Iraq. I was singing karaoke all liquored up one night on whiskey in a small town in a rural on Northern Ontario. And the DJ was like, Hey man, you should like, do you play guitar? And I'm like, actually I do. Are they over? I don't have this conversation. Got it. Memory's kind of hot foggy, but uh, yeah. Like, yeah, I play guitar. It's like, well, we got to, we got a couple too many on that one, you know, you know, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I, yeah, yeah, I play guitar. I actually mostly play guitar. I play a lot of lead stuff. Cause I was noodling on blues and that kind of thing. I was like, oh, well, yeah. you come and audition for this band. I'm like, okay. So I showed up with my acoustic and they're like, 
this is a rock band. I'm like, oh, well, I don't, I went and I went, I was going to like, well, I can go and get my brother's electric guitar. And they're like, no, no. So somebody went and got one. And I auditioned for this band, did a couple tunes on lead playing an acoustic. And this guy went and got to get some, while he's gone to get a guitar. And then I, then I started playing, I got the gig and I started playing lead for a, like a hair metal classic rock cover band. A lot oh, of like okay. Boston, Guns N' Roses, collectives like then collective soul on the other end of the spectrum oh, awesome george, guitar solos george thorogood to whatever but i didn't i never learned any of these solos i would just i would just drink whiskey and there were some other things that were involved in that kind of time in my life uh which, oh, which yeah. kind of got the better of me as it as it happens which we and, don't uh, condone as a christian podcast no I, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i had one of those uh those electric things you plug into your guitar that you're not attached to a cable so you can wander on the oh, stage yeah yeah and i but i used to get really bad stage fright so i used to have to drink a lot before the show so that i would feel loose enough to actually perform and do well mm-hmm. and so i would do that and then i started i still couldn't do it so i started dressing in costumes so i'm wearing like leopard skin tights mm-hmm. shotgunned into my cowboy boots with like a a lead, yeah. a lead jean vest with the sleeves cut off, a wig, yeah. glasses, like ripping slash solos, and uh, fuck yeah, and it, it started really taking off. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like people actually like this. And I would go down in the crowd on the dance floor and play guitar because I didn't like when people looked at me when I played solo. <laughs> and so I would get down on the floor and, and dance and play music and stuff. And uh, transition from that, that got me some gigs with some other bands. And then I started writing more of my own stuff again. And the stuff I wrote were about the war it was about addiction it was about you know the kinds of things that plague to like musicians and um and that's when i started finally get that was around the time tyler chills was starting to get popular and uh that re- i really connected with it stopped playing in that musical group and started an outlaw country band that we used to do tours up to little mining towns and log towns where no musical acts ever went so the town's got a oh, population yeah. of like 1200 people and it's got two bars and we play two nights in this town, one at each bar. And we go to the next town 160 miles down the road. And, uh, and it was, it was a good turnout, man. It was cool because no one ever had the balls to go up there because the crowds are so small, but it was a lot of fun. And they, they're Hell just yeah. real hardworking blue collar people and they like their country. And then I did a bit as a, you know, in a bluegrass outfit, I played bluegrass for a bit and just kind of in that. But honestly, the way that you saw me playing there on the, on the tailgate of a flatbed and then down sitting on that cooler, that's really more my scene, man, where it's like people that just like shout out requests and you get yeah. to tell a bit of a story and you get to change the words to some of these songs everybody knows and make it a little bit more about yourself and tell your own story through someone else's music. And uh, that's kind of my thing. Yeah. That's awesome. I, uh, it was funny. We were, uh, we were talking at uh, Jeremiah's house, uh, the night before the ranch rodeo and, uh, Oh, uh, Shelby and, and her, her uh or the boyfriend her her guy i can't know i don't know what the the title is but shelby and her guy and um and marissa and and somebody else we're we're just talking about music in general and i I was like it's funny as like music as we know it is based off of like western european standards you know like all the like the music theory and stuff is based off of like German and, and, and European um, composers. And then like American music is essentially based off of black culture where like yeah. we had a, we had a bunch of the European music 
and the black slaves broke all the rules of like they they kept it within the bounds of western european music but they broke every rule within that within those boundaries mm-hmm. and you know whether it was ragtime or jazz or rock and roll or hip-hop it was like and and we we were talking. And then we also talked about bluegrass, and I said bluegrass is the closest thing that white people will have to black people music because it breaks <laughs> a lot of rules and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it sounds amazing. You know, like just yeah. like how everything fits together is uh, like that's that's the closest white people will get to black people music. I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I get that. That's cool. That's an interesting parallel to draw. And I, I kind I'll tend to agree with you on that. It's, uh, yeah, you're right. Like I look at how, how like the King of rock and roll had, had based a lot of his influence and stuff off of what black blues musicians were doing. And then right. he just changed it just a little bit. And then that was changed a little bit again further. And, mm-hmm. and it, uh, now that now we have the, the, all the genres that we have today, man. And, uh, and I, I look culturally at music, especially across the West, and in the east, like how like Tyler's from I want to say, is he not from Kentucky? He's Kentucky. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's from Kentucky. I look at the stuff that comes out like you got the chance to guide some dudes there recently for a band called 49 Winchester. And uh Okay, I've I've heard of I've heard a couple of their songs. I I wouldn't know it right off the top of my head, but I know somebody yeah. told me to check them out. And so I have and I liked it, but I, I don't I don't know what it is off the top. I have to go back to it, you know. Yeah, these guys have like a real hard uh well he, the singer Isaac, is is very influenced by gospel and he wanted to make mm. it, but it but it's country. It's good, like it's it's smacks of Merle. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing, when it gets into the, the twang and the, the, the actual old school country, but it's about newer school stuff, which is kind of my, my, uh, if you will, my, my, my bone of contention I have with modern day country music is that 80, you know, 60 years ago, country music was about stuff that people could all relate to, which was right. going to jail and maybe your missus cheated on you uh-huh. or you lost your job and and you had to go back and sell your house in the hauler. And I, and I get that like that nowadays people, because people could connect with that now to write music that people connect with from a country standpoint. uh, You write songs about drinking beer on a pontoon boat with women in bikinis, because that's what more people can relate to. Because you had your truck repossessed or something like that. Yeah. It was, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, just plug it into the formula, and yeah, and the, and the, yeah. yeah, it's uh no, that, and see, that's like um, growing up. Um, you know, we grew up on '90s country, which was fucking awesome. But looking back on it, you're also it was like it was so formulaic too. Like it was just like oh, yeah. what it, yeah, whatever was hot, that's what everybody was singing about, and yeah. uh, and that that led me to. Um, the great divide, which led me to cross Canadian ragweed, which led me to Jason Boland and the whole red dirt, Texas music scene. And that, that led me into like the, the Western music. And, you know, like I, I might, I had the the old cowboy music stuff from a long ago. Like that, that shit's, that shit goes back generations. Every, every cowboy has that stuff, but like nobody yeah. really likes now. It's just now getting cool to brag about, you know, having, 
you know, having Eddie Arnold, uh, you know, listen to Eddie Arnold with your grandpa. That, that used to be, you're just like, Oh, you remember listening with our fucking grandpa, you know, Eddie Arnold, you know, those old fuck songs, you know, but now that's like kind of cool, uh, because cowboying became cool again, but like, uh, yeah. But, but then, then we went through like this whole, like, well, the whole music scene was just like very, very corporate and like trendy and like, you know, like, focus grouped almost and then it still yeah. is like on on the radio if you listen to the radio it still is but like the people that are the the artists that people are actually listening to like say take spotify which is the you know the second biggest streaming platform or music platform on uh in the world like outside of like kanye and a few big name groups like the biggest like zach bryan has no label and is is like one of the top performing country artists you know wow, um, okay. and and it, so it's like the radio doesn't doesn't represent what people actually listen to anymore not that it ever yeah. did but like that but that's all you had at the time like you had the radio and you had record stores and now yeah. we've got fucking everything and so like I don't know. You like you'll find. I mean, it's crazy. Like you, know, we we just showed up at the same ranch rodeo, and uh, and but there'll be people that that'll look you up now, and like that. That's awesome. Like that. That's the yeah. cool thing about about technology nowadays. And and you don't you don't need the you don't need the bigwigs to to get you out in front of people anymore either. Yeah, I do have like my reserve. Like I, there was a time, it, like I know hand on heart, Matt, that like I thought maybe at some point it'd be cool to be like a professional musician. I don't yeah. think that anymore. I don't. Um, I, I foresee a lot of things, and there's some movies that popularized it, and certainly the stories of some people that have sh- that they've shared about it. Like you know, like my worst nightmare is dressed like I am right now, standing in front of some dude in Nashville who's got a million dollar check in his hand. He's like, all I need you to do, man, is cut your hair and change your name and sing this song that uh, this lady wrote. And it's, you know, we're going to make it pop country. I'm like, no, man, I can't do that. Like, I can't. Nah, like, I'd that. like to say I turned down a million dollar check to do that, but I don't know that I would or not. Maybe I would. I don't know, you know. And I, I, I don't know. The, you know, I look at I, the Tylers and I look at the, the, the Coulters and I look at the Corbs that are doing what they want to do, man. And people like it. And I think that I, if I can't get into something like that, I, I don't think I ever would. But then yeah. if I couldn't be like that, I wouldn't want to do it at all. No, I, and it, it's, it's one thing now is like, it's, it's so, so much easier now than it ever has been to just play what you think is good and see if people like it. Cause yeah. Thanks to the internet. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy because yeah. you don't have to, yeah, you don't have to like change it so this person that that can give it to this person make thinks it sounds better and then then yeah. from there they can make other tweaks to it and the next thing you know you're just yeah, like you're just yeah. another rascal flats. Oh, Florida Georgia line. Yeah. 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 But I, I think that one of the things that's beautiful about the internet and being able to get your stuff out there is the same thing that's a problem with it is there's so much talent and so much to pick from. And anybody mm-hmm. with, a computer, with a cell phone that can write a song, like, yeah. like, you know what I mean? I look at like culture. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent certain that this is the fact fact or not, but I, I want to say that from the day that he put his first video on YouTube within 365 days, he was on the Grand Ole Opry stage. Like that's, that's unheard of, man. Like yeah. I watching well, one of his first ones, there used to be a cab in Moncton, New Brunswick in Canada, 
it was called taxi cab sessions or something like that. And he, where a cab driver picks you up and you make a video playing and singing in the back of this guy's cab for a few minutes on your ride to go someplace. And this, uh-huh. this shit went viral. And that's one of the things that, that really kind of set him like one of the things also the fact yeah. that his dad was a, like a, a provincial politician. Right. You know? And not to knock it, the guy's talented as fuck. Like Willie Nelson has said, Coulter is the best songwriter of the generation, which I agree with. But uh, I, you know, Willie Nelson says that you. I, I think he's got the most unique voice in a generation. Sure. Um, I'm not sold on his songwriting just yet. He's he needs to put out another banger of an album before I'll I'll go ahead and give him that nod. <laughs> All right. Yeah. His uh, his that. last album he didn't write shit, so Oh really? I, I was not tracking that. I was only tracking the ones that he was writing. But oh, uh, oh yeah. So his his last album was just uh like old cowboy songs. So like and it's awesome. Oh, yeah, I loved okay. it. it. It was great. But like he hasn't put anything out that he's wrote in quite some time, you know, yeah. you know several years so um I, i'm waiting i'm waiting for the next like colter colter wall original and then i'll be if it, if it's good i'm uh, i'm sold because he's he's right there but like yeah he, he hasn't hasn't put anything out in a while and i want to see you know original shit that and so i want to see what he's got yeah no, i believe it i'll be looking forward to hearing that too yeah so Anyway, I think that's a good place to wrap up for the regular episode. I got to go take a leak, but if you got a few more minutes, we'll uh, we'll talk some. We'll take a little even more deeper dive into music. Okay, cool, man. You go take a leak, and I'll uh, let me get some water and uh, I'll be drinking. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a hussar. I'm a hunt. I'm a wretched Englishman Routing upon a part at Waterloo I'm a dragoon on a dun I'm a Cossack on the run I'm a horse soldier, timeless through and through Well, I was with Custer and the 7th 76 to 77 Scalped that little bighorn by the suit and the tears and devastation of a once proud warrior nation This I know cause I was riding with them too And I drank mare's blood on the run When I rode with the great cum On the frozen Mongol steppe while at his height And as a white guard, as a red guard As the czar's own palace horse guard When Romanov was murdered in the night and I knew Saladin and rode his swift Arabians Harassing doomed crusaders on their heavy drafts And yet I rode the Percheron against the circling Saracen And once again against myself was cast Well I'm a hussar, I'm a hun, I'm a wretched Englishman Routing Bonaparte at Waterloo I'm a dragoon on a dun, I'm a Cossack on the run I'm a horse soldier, timeless to enter. Well, I've worn the Maddie's crimson. If you're silent and you'll listen, you'll know that it was with them that I stood. When Mary Thorpe, she cried as her four horsemen died, gunned down in scarlet coldest blood. Well, I was the firstest with the mostest 
When I fought for Bedford Forest Suffer General Wilson's Union Raid And mine was not the reason why Mine was but to do or die At Crimea with the Charging Light Brigade On high from Swiss to Sweden Be me Christian, be me heathen The devil to the saber I shall put With a crack flanking maneuver I'm a new land a la super Striking terror into regiment of foot Well I'm a hussar, I'm a hun I'm a wretched Englishman Routing Bonaparte at Waterloo I'm a dragon on a dun I'm a Cossack on the run I'm a horse soldier, timeless through and through Well, I knew my days were numbered When all the trenches lumbered More modern machinations de la guerre No match for rapid fire Or the steel birds of the sky With the final rearguard action I retreat No match for barbed wire Or the armored engine's whine Reluctant, I retire and take my leave Today I ride with special forces On those wily Afghan horses The storms know that alliance give their thanks And no matter defeat or victory in battle It occurs to me that we may see a swelling in our ranks Well I'm a hussar, I'm a hun, I'm a wretched Englishman Routing one apart at Waterloo I'm a dragon on a dun I'm a Cossack on the run I'm a horse soldier Timeless through and through I'm a horse soldier Eternal through and through